This winter, bring families together to celebrate the reason for Christmas and dive deeper into the story of Jesus' birth with LifeWay Kids' free family advent guide. Get yours today at lifeway.com slash family advent. Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of the Kids Ministry 101 podcast. It is so good to have you today. I know that you're going to enjoy our time in the conversation that I am about to have with a guy that I've gotten, I've had great opportunity to get to know uh, this friend through some work that we've done collaboratively within Lifeway. Collaboratively is a difficult word to say. If you don't believe me, I'd like you to try that a few times and say it fast. Some work that we have done collaboratively, it's a lot of syllables, uh, between Lifeway kids and Lifeway students. His name is John Paul Basham. Hey, John Paul. Yo. Hey, John, thanks well, for having me on, man. Welcome to the podcast. It's you are a guy, and, and John Paul, you're the manager of student publishing at Lifeway uh, Lifeway Students. And yes. so we we do wind up once in a while in a room together where kids and students are are gathering or huddling around a common thing that we're working on. And I've just really enjoyed those times with you. We have talked for I don't know a year about about hey when can we get you on the podcast? And I and I've been trying to chase you down and track you down. You're in high demand. <laughs> Man, <laughs> uh, sorry about that. I'm not trying to be so hard to get a hold of. That's uh, that's on me. But glad to be here today. <laughs> well, we as we bring new friends on the podcast, uh, we like to get to know a little bit about those okay. friends. And so, I'd, I'd like to ask you a little bit about little you. So, when you were a kid. When you were a kid, we're talking to kids ministry leaders, uh, okay. really next gen leaders, right? Because I'm hope you're bringing the student audience over. We've got the kids crowd here. This is a next gen day on the podcast, so we're going to call it the next gen 101 podcast. How's that? So, but we want to know a little bit about little you. So, when you were a little kid, did you have something that you collected? Did you have, I don't know, stamps, matchbox cars, bottle caps? Was there anything that you were into that you collected as a kid? Oh, man. As a as a really small kid, I loved monster trucks, which I called four by four power trucks as fast nice. as I could. And so all the time I would ask my dad, hey, dad, look at that four by four power truck. Can I have another four by four power truck? <laughs> So that's the joke that my dad, because I I have always driven a truck. And so every time I pull up at my dad's house, he's like, hey, how's your four by four power truck going? Your four by four power truck. So did yeah. you, okay, tell <laughs> us about these four by four power trucks that you had. Did you, were you collecting like, I mean, I remember like some of the famous ones, like Big uh, Bigfoot, obviously, but like the Grave Digger. Oh yeah, the were they Grave like, You digger. had all the branded ones? I don't think it mattered to me. If it was a big truck with big tires, Man, if it made noise, if I could remote control it, oh, I loved it. Sweet. And I can't say that I don't love them now. I'd, uh, <laughs> I'd take every opportunity to buy them for my boys. I was going to ask, do you still have any of them? Is there a box somewhere? Are they out on your still, shelf in your office? Oh, I don't have any of my original 4 by 4 power trucks. May they rest in pieces. But yeah, we, yeah. we do have a, a nice collection for my 8- and 7-year-old, though. So you've tried to pass that on to the family. Yeah, that's yeah. a good thing. That's a good thing. You got to pass that along. A little little love of trucks. We we don't mind a monster truck rally at our house. Have you got have you taken the kid? Now tell us about your you said you have two children. Tell us their names and ages again. So 
I have two. I have two pairs of kids. I have an eight and and seven year old, and then I have a three and a two year old that, and they're both uh, right out a year apart. One pair just under a year, one pair like eleven days over a year apart. So really close and, to having two sets of twins. Not to offend your, anyone that actually has twins and are like, bro, you don't know what twins are like. I do not speak twin language, so I don't get it. But <laughs> tell, what's the span from youngest to oldest? So eight to two. Eight to two. Okay, that's a pretty good range. Yeah. I mean, six years, you, they're kind of packed in there, but you would definitely be moving through different phases of life and kid stuff as yeah. you go. Have you taken any of them to go to the actual like Sunday, 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 Sunday nitro burning funny cars at the Coliseum? Have you done any of that together? Absolutely. The older boys have the younger, the younger two. So the younger two, my youngest is a girl. So chapel is two. Deacon is three. Soon to be. Great names. Those are great names. Thank you. Chapel Deacon is seven and Levi is eight. Awesome. Yeah. And so an important thing there is. So my name being a double first name, John Paul, John Paul, and I don't have a middle name. It's always been the struggle. Every time I meet someone, John, you know, hey, I'm John Paul. Paul. John, it's great to meet you. And no, no. there's the whole thing. No, it's a double first name. It's like, oh, is it hyphenated? Is it not? You know, there's a whole thing. People can't just say, oh, John Paul. Great. It never ha- it's, I don't think it's ever happened once. So all four of our kids, I was like, no. No, no double, double names. names. I realize we're in the South. It's, you know, we have some middle names that we like going along with the first name, but it's Chapel, Deacon, Titus, and Levi. Easy to get there. They're never going to have the conversational struggle that I have <laughs> with my name. And I feel like we've removed a roadblock from their life by doing that. Well, and so I want to thank you, one, for being so vulnerable and transparent with our listeners. We, we really like, we admire that as kids people. We admire transparency in our guests, but also uh, knowing that you you gave me the opportunity, John Paul, to do nitro burning funny cars on the podcast. I've been waiting for a chance to do that. That's my dream is to be that stadium guy. And you podcast just gave me that chance. List. So thank you. Thank you. Hey, you're Check very it welcome. off the list. Listeners, that's all for today. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you Sunday at the Coliseum. No, no, no. I guess I guess we should talk about what we're here to talk about. So, John Paul, thank you for joining us. Or John, Paul, yeah. thank you for joining us. We won't do that to you. We wanted to talk today about something that's a, a topic on your heart. And, and I love, John Paul, that you are, one, that you are a student ministry uh, leader, that you're, you have expertise in the student realm. Uh, we said today we're talking, this is kind of a next gen episode, kids and students. But you also yeah. have kids at home who are in the ministries that our listeners are, li- are leading. And so you're a perfect bridge to be able to speak the language of kids and students. As, and bring unity together uh, to the topic today. And so what we want to talk about today is this idea of developing a rhythm, a habit of gospel conversations. And so first of all, John Paul, tell me what, how do you define that? When you say having gospel conversations, I don't think that you mean you're sharing the gospel every day with your children, right? You're talking about what? Well, so I would answer that by giving a measure that I like to give to student pastors, student ministry leaders when they ask, how can I tell if my students are growing in their faith? Um, 
I don't remember who it was that it, it might have, this might be a Dietrich Bonhoeffer that talked about the importance of um, measuring the weight of a disciple's faith. How do you weigh that? And I think a great measure of that weight of their faith and how much it's impacting in their life day to day is listening to the words that come out of their mouth. Mm -hmm. So from a student ministry perspective, uh, one of the best examples I can give is of a middle school boy maturing through middle school and into high school and how conversation changes. Uh, and so one of the things that I listen to is whether or not Jesus is on their lips. When I'm actively discipling a young person, mm. it often turns out in the beginning that their conversations, even after, you know, run up to you after a, a great Wednesday night message, you feel really good about it. You know, you had a great response, whatever, and you have some middle school boy run up to you and then talk your ear off for 10 minutes about their last session on Call of Duty or whatever video mm-hmm. game is popular at the time. And then they threw a grenade and I jumped behind this wall and what eventually as you disciple them uh, and they begin to mature in their faith, those points of conversation prayerfully change where they're running up to you and not first and foremost excited to tell you about last night's call of duty game. But they're saying, hey, you challenged me to do this last week and I want to tell you how that's gone. You know, or I had a conversation with a friend the other day and I didn't know how to answer this question that they asked me about the Bible or about my faith. Mm -hmm. And so there I'm able to weigh their faith by hearing whether or not Jesus is on their lips. So all of that kind of as an introduction to say, um, if we don't have a rhythm of gospel conversation, gospel contextualization that we are presenting to students as small group leaders, as kids pastors, student pastors, as parents at home, if we're not filtering everything through a rhythm of, of gospel centrality, then we're not going to show them how to have Jesus on their lips as mm-hmm. they have conversation, even when they talk about video games, teaching right, them right. to see like, hey, what elements of the gospel do you see in this game? Um, so so that's kind of where this conversation goes. How do you do that? Yeah. So a lot of ministry, I mean, and we as we look, step back and look at uh, just assess the reality of time and of ministry and of all that we have to accomplish in the little bit of time we have uh, to get those things done. We often as leaders in kids and student spaces do most of the talking. We talk at the kids. We preach at the kids. We teach at the kids. We, we have a lot to say. And our hope is that they will hear what we say and not be messing around or goofing around distracted, but they'll hear what we say and that it will seep into their souls somehow. But what you, what I hear you saying is we need to also make time to listen and give them a chance to talk so that we can yeah. hear if there's some fruit that's coming out of that, right? Out of, I think as you're saying that, I'm thinking of, you know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so that's we exactly need to it. listen to the words of the mouth to know what's in the heart. And so you're saying we need to having these conversations is different than a gospel presentation where we're delivering something. It's a conversation where it goes two ways. 
Yeah, that's a good distinction. And thinking about it through the filter of student ministry and the filter of kids ministry, that looks it looks very different, right? Mm-hmm. And so like for my family at the dinner table, every night we walk through a devotion at dinner because my kids are young enough that we're all there for dinner together. Right. So you you know, you get a little bit older and sometimes half of your kids are at practice or you know, drama club or whatever it is. We're 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 in a season of life where we can all eat dinner together every night consistently. So we eat dinner. We do. We go around the table. Those that can communicate. So chapel is not going to give us highs and lows for not the day. Not a whole but, lot. But, right? right? Not yet. <laughs> but yeah. she's observing and learning. Yeah. But yeah. We all go around the table and do our highs and our high and low. What was your high? What was your low today? Um, and... In that high and low conversation, Crystal and I always mine that for how we can point that to the gospel. Why was that a low? Um, how could you ask Jesus to help you in that if you find that you're going to run into this low again tomorrow? Or maybe it's a relationship that you're struggling with. Same thing with the high. Like, isn't God good to give you that high um, uh, part part of your day? And And then in the daily Devo piece, it's... A whole lot less of, hey, take in everything that this verse means, but it's like, let's listen to the verse. Let's read the Devo. But what'd you get out of it? You know, you yeah. tell me, put that, rephrase that in your own words. And with a seven and eight year old, sometimes it's like, bro, you, I know what I said, <laughs> but you're, you're not saying this back to me. So, which sometimes doesn't matter, but listening to, what is the filter? How are you thinking about it? What are you actually processing? What questions came out? If you rabbit trailed, great. Maybe it's a perfect rabbit trail. Right. But where's Jesus? Where's Jesus in it? Is he there or is he not? Are you getting it? Or are you not? Are you, are you processing that or are you not? Do you guys, what do you guys do as a, as a family to that? To that end. Yeah, we are in. So my kids are, have, there's a 10 year spread between oldest and youngest. My youngest is 13. Tate, yeah. he's in uh, sixth grade this year. And my oldest is uh, 23 uh, in, in getting married. I have two girls who are in their 20s and my two boys are 15 and 13. So we are moving yeah. right now out of the kids ministry space into the student ministry space. You are the student guy with kids and kids ministry. And I'm the kids guy with kids and student ministry. That's <laughs> Kind of cool. <laughs> we uh, we are in a place where we don't have that dinner time uh, most of the week. We might have one night a week where we get everybody around the table. We yeah. have made an effort to try to protect our Friday nights. And we do a Friday night gathering around the table uh, where we, where so we, uh, I've been creating, this is just a total little diversion for my boys where they are, I've been creating these little half sheets of paper. So here's here's one I'm holding up for you that you can see on the Zoom, John Paul. Yeah. It's just a half sheet of paper that I've written on with Sharpie. And I just yeah. write, this is a verse to think about. And I'll write out a verse. Uh, this one is Romans 8, 28. And I wrote it for my boys. And it says, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And then I write two questions for them. I write, do, does everything work for good for every person? Yes or no. And then according to this verse, for what kind of people do things work together for good? And then when we gather on that Friday night, I give these out 
a couple times a week to my boys. And when it's that Friday night, I'll ask one of them, I'll say, Hey, go and get one of their, one of the little papers and just bring one. And let's, and we talk about it as a family and go over that together. So I love that. it's not exactly a book study. It's not exactly yeah. a Devo, but I'm looking to put those things in front of my boys, even on the days when I'm busy and I'm not available. Uh, I can take a picture of this little half sheet of paper and text it to my boys and say, hey, think about this and let's talk about it Friday night. And so that's yeah. that's what I'm doing right now. And uh, and it seems to, to work, but this is something I'm just doing on my own. Now, we so yeah. as, as leaders, as ministry leaders, obviously, we don't have the opportunity to sit around the dinner table with all of the kids in our ministry or all the students in our in our Wednesday night Bible study group. And so we we don't have enough time. In the, in the week, in the year, uh, to be able to do that for all of our kids. And so obviously, in order for things like this to happen, we need to figure out how we can partner really well with the home. Yeah, that's right. And and I think, you know, you mentioned we don't have enough time, and I don't want to stay here um, for too long, but it is important for ministry leaders to really kind of get a hold of the fact of how much time you actually do have. And this is something that we often go through with student pastors when we do our essentials conferences and um, it really any place that we're talking student ministry shop, just to kind of illustrate in the typical student ministry. And I think this looks probably a little bit different for kids, but, but awfully similar. Um, the typical student ministry you're going to have a, around a one hour time slot on Sunday morning to do classes if a church is doing Sunday morning groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to have about an hour um, of uh, midweek programming. Wednesday night programming is where most, m- most student ministries land. In either of those, there's a kind of fun exercise that we like to do to just break down how much discipleship time you you actually mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. It tends to break down to about 30 minutes on Sundays and 30 minutes on Wednesdays. Of actually productive you, time, got, right? Right, where you're yeah. teaching, kids are interacting. So you have around, just to keep it brief, you have around 60 minutes. Um, uh, sorry. Yeah, you have around yeah, 60 yeah. minutes, minutes times two. Um, uh, uh, those those two combined, which yeah. over the course of a year, because churches don't meet every week, yeah. you have about two days of influence a year as a ministry leader. And that is, John Paul, That I would say that maybe even is optimistic because we know that not every kid will be there every week. That's so exactly that, right. That's if every kid is there every week, we have, what did you say, two days, two days yep. of cumulative time to influence. Yep. So you think about that from a student ministry lens, I go, okay, sixth to 12th grade. That means I have two weeks. If it's all on me, yeah, I have two weeks to create a well-formed, mature disciple of Christ from sixth through 12th grade before I send them out into this big, bad world where they're going to go be a college student and start learning how to do things on their own. Right. And you add the kid space to it and you don't have much more. What do you have? Maybe, a, maybe, maybe best case scenario, two months yeah. to create a disciple. So it, it just creates this sense of urgency for what you're doing in the time that you have. <laughs> it has to be incredibly intentional if you hope to have any real effect on these kids that we've been given to disciple. Hmm. That in, uh, absolutely. Yes. 
And I love that you use that word urgency. That's a, that's a word that I feel like the Lord has been pressing on my heart over the last year and a half, all through the whole COVID uh, crisis that we've been through with the churches, you know, unable to gather, trying to come up with different ways to do ministry, to reach kids uh, where they are, uh, if they can't come to where we are. And all of it, John Paul, to me, just just reinforces what was already true. And that's that there's urgency around the gospel. We don't have a moment to waste. We don't have a minute to lose. We can't afford to squander the little bit of time, uh, right? We need to make the most of the time for the days are evil uh, or to redeem the time, as King James says in that verse, uh, redeem the time because for the days are evil. And so, man, how do we... How do we therefore engage in a way that we can we can find more time uh, or that we can have influence that goes outside of the programmed time that we have? So what do yeah. we do? Yeah. And so that's where that home equation comes into play, mm-hmm. because you you know you have limited time that you can pour into your kids or your students. So, but you know, there are other environments that they live in. And so they, they are at home, they're at school, they're on teams, they're in clubs. And so how do we leverage all of those other spaces? And the biggest space that you have the most direct influence under, right under that direct influence to that student is that student's home. Those parents, as you can engage them in your ministry, as you can love on them, as you can disciple them and spend time developing them, you are also developing that student as a result of strengthening the, the that faith and how that faith is expressed in their home. And there are other things to be done too. Um, tons of research that came out of our last major research study. One of those that showed that students were 60% more likely to stay engaged in their faith after high school when they had three or more people other than their uh, parents or student pastors, kids pastors pouring into them from a faith perspective. So three or more other than mom, dad, and pastors. So that is, that leans into like, okay, if your kid plays sports, how do you uh, make sure that they are on a sports team where there are um, coaches that are men and women of faith? Yeah. Um, if they're in clubs, how do you make sure that they're being influenced by club leaders that are men and women of faith? Mm. It, even just down to um, the easiest grab is who are your kids friends with? And are you friends with their parents? And are yes. you making sure that yes. you have a community of believers around your kids so that, okay, dad says X, Y, Z, they never hear it. Uh, Jacob's dad says X, Y, Z, and it is in line with what your X, Y, Z is. And all of a sudden that was incredible advice. So do you have a community of three or more other moms and dads in your kid's life, coaches, teachers, mentors, that are leaning in this same direction that goes even beyond what we can do at home. And some of that's just, hey, mom and dad, be aware of this. You know, you have influence over what classes your student takes and what teachers are teaching those classes. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of you going to the school and saying, hey, I want my kid to be with this teacher instead of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, you have influence over what sports your kids play. 
what interests they have, and where they engage in those things. And so if you know, hey, my kid could play ball at this club or this club, this coach is going to be the better spiritual influence on my kid. Maybe I should lean this way. Yeah. And all that, all that's a judgment call and not to shame anybody that hasn't done that, but just to say, hey, here's something to think about. We well, Great ideas. Those are great ideas. And I want to share these with all of my parents. And so one way to go about that is I might be able to have one-on-one -on -one conversations intentionally with each one uh, and to be available, which we should be, right? We, we know that ministry to kids and students is really ministry to whole families uh, because we need to not only speak to the child in the home, but also to mom and dad, to the caregiver, whoever that may be, uh, and, and to be able to, uh, to coach and counsel and connect with those people to help set them up for success. For success. So it's, it, the role of the pastor is the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And in a yeah. very similar way, I think the, our roles as kids and student leaders, as next-gen ministry leaders, our role is really to come alongside families, not to take discipleship away from them, but to figure out how we can work side-by-side -side together to accomplish this in, in their yeah. child. Because like you said, it takes more than just any one of us alone. That's right. So like one of the tools that we try to use and, and leverage at LifeWay students uh, is a, a tool that we call Parent Partner. Mm. And that is a tool that gives some really easy conversation starters. And um, I know you guys do things very similar to this. Uh, and even to a greater degree than we do in students, you guys crush this at LifeWay Kids. Um, but these uh, training moments for parents to be able to leverage conversation and lead into those gospel conversations wherever they are. Chuck, you've been parenting longer than I have and have had the, the opportunity at the theme park where you're in a two hour long line and you got to yep. talk about something. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you teach parents how to leverage that moment? How do you teach parents how to leverage the, the van ride to soccer practice? How do you teach them to leverage their, uh, you know, lunchtime conversations? Um, those are all things that, that are super beneficial to parents. And I think, um, this is largely an, an inherited problem because nobody taught my, I've had this conversation with my mom and dad. I wonder yeah. if you have yeah. had a similar conversation. I've asked my parents who discipled you. And both of them said, well, nobody, there was nobody that really poured into their lives and said, here's how you do this with your kids. And so that trickles down and that trickles down to a generation of parents that we get to minister to that are yes. super intimidated. Like, what do you mean? I, I, you know, when I have two hours in a theme park line with my kids, like we all just get on our phone because we don't know what to say. Right. So, um, so that's that important moment. Chuck, I wonder mm -hmm. if you guys have some just kind of easy grab go tos for how to kick off those conversations. Yeah. We, so, uh, first of all, in my own home and in our experience, really the key becomes, be always being ready as a parent, right? This is what yeah. I coach my, my parents uh, in ministry, uh, how, what they should do. We need to be ready uh, to not be surprised in that moment, right? Because uh, parents, uh, family ministry within the family with a parent discipling the child, having these types of spiritual conversations in the home is how it's meant to be. 
And so I look at Deuteronomy 6 in the Shema, where it talks about, you know, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Uh, let, let, uh, share these things with your children and press them on your children as you go. And it's all about, yeah. you know, when you lie down, when you rise up, as you walk along the road, ministry is meant to happen in the family and it's meant to happen uh, as we go. And so really as parents, this is the primary thing that we should always be doing, not the rare thing that we do once in a while and it feels really weird and awkward. There's a right. conditioning there. There's an expectation that we have to set there. And so the first part of it is, is we need to be able to move parents within our ministries away from the Western American outsourcing model. You know, if I want my sons to play soccer, if I want them to get better at soccer, I hire a trainer. If I want to learn piano, I hire a tutor. Uh, you know, or yeah. uh, if I wanted to get good at math, I hire a tutor for sure, right? Because I can't do that. And so therefore, our, our mindset is to outsource ministry, to outsource discipleship or spiritual growth. I don't know how to do it as a parent. So I'm bringing them to you, John Paul. You take my teenagers. Mm -hmm. I'll take your kids. I'll do it for you. You do it for me because you're the professional, right? Yeah. But the reality is that's not the expectation. And so this all begins with us as ministry leaders setting a new expectation for the parents of the kids in our ministry. Yeah. Hey, we and, uh, let's let's if let me ask this of you. Would you come yeah. back and let's unpack that? Uh, let's so let's end this episode right here. Listeners, I'm sorry. I'm going to cut you off with John Paul. We need to let you guys go. But John Paul, stick with me. Let's record another episode right now. And let's talk about what does it look like and how can we uh, equip parents well through training and through clarifying expectations to set them up for success in this area. John Paul, thanks for the conversation today. We appreciate having you here. Absolutely. And listeners, thank you for listening as always, man. I hope that this has been inspiring and uh, as interesting and inspiring to you as it has been to me. I'm excited to keep talking with John Paul. For you, the listener, you may have to wait a couple more weeks before you hear the next episode in the series, but come back again soon. Remember, it's not John Basham. It's John Paul. Get it right. <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you, John Paul, for being here. Listeners, thank you for listening. We'll see you back next time again soon on another episode of the Kids Ministry 101 podcast. Hey, did you know that you can be part of the Great Commission simply by packing Operation Christmas Child shoebox gifts? Well, your gifts of school supplies, toys, and hygiene items will open the door for children around the world to encounter the love of Jesus for the very first time. Around a thousand churches are being planted every single year, even among unreached people groups, as communities are transformed by the power of the gospel. National Collection Week is November 15th through 22nd. To learn more, visit SamaritansPurse.org OCC.